the holiday hiatus is over. The OHL is back in action. And hey, even as the trade freeze lifts for those not involved in the World Juniors, trades are happening again in the Ontario Hockey League. We hope you had a great Christmas break. Thanks for coming back to the OHL podcast as we enter 2023. That is Dan Mahar over there. You'll find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. I'm Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Of course, we're going to talk about World Juniors on this podcast. In fact, we are literally recording in the minutes after Canada scored the winning goal in overtime against Slovakia. So I don't know about you, Dan, and we'll do more World Juniors in a bit, but I... I picked my jaw up off the floor and then sat down to have this conversation with you because my goodness, honor Bedard on that winner. Yeah. I think the only thing I can, it reminds me of Mike is you and I capping that three goal comeback in ball hockey circa 2002, (laughs) but that was, yeah, that was something to watch. It was incredible. And uh, as you mentioned, just as we started recording here, good thing Canada has Connor Bedard because uh, there are holes in the team. But again, we will get to that. What we wanted to start with uh, this week as we usher in 2023 on the OHL podcast is, is something that's been, look, it's it's impacting the Ontario Hockey League, in my opinion, in a negative way and it really reared its ugly head this past weekend at a game dan that both you and i were watching that was rangers and pete's and roman schmidt kitchener rangers defenseman and i might add a tampa bay lightning prospect is suspended two games for a slew foot that's what the officials called it on the ice that's what the officials stood by after reviewing it on the ipads in the arena and that's what the league stood by when reviewing the play and determining it was worthy of a two-game suspension. I'm here to tell you right now, and you can call me a homer all you want, it was not a slew foot. It was not a sl- Anyway, I'm, I'm going to leave my thoughts here for now because I know you're passionate about this too, Dan. How do you feel about where we're at in this league, the Ontario Hockey League right now, with slew foots, match penalties, and suspensions? Well, no one ever wants to question efforts on behalf of player safety. So it's a little bit of a tricky one, but when you, when you get into slew footing, so the, the definition of slew footing always for the eternity I've grown up in hockey was deliberately taking someone's legs out from under them. So they fall backwards with no protection potentially for their head. It was a pretty clear, uh, distinct thing that, that was called slew footing. And I think what we've seen in the OHL this year, and I don't know if they've changed the definition. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Roman Schmitz was not in any way, shape or form a slew foot yet. It was probably even more a slew foot than some of the other ones I've seen. I referenced one on Quentin Musty just a couple weeks ago. The, there's probably been three or four in the league this year. That's, there, I, I see no slew foot whatsoever. So it, it's almost like the OHL has changed the definition where any time a player's actions cause another player to fall backwards it's being called a slew foot at this point i'd like clarification from the league if that's a new definition they have of slew footing because i've seen a few times where it was almost a bit of a pitchfork from the front with the stick that they called a slew foot which no one took anyone's legs out from behind them so if they're changing the definition my beef mike is is i would love to see them add a minor for slew footing to the rule book and it just makes sense to me if you have a non-deliberate action where a player just happens to fall backwards, no resulting injury, it wasn't an intentional or vicious play, it's got to be a minor like the rest of these penalties. Mike, you can't be and, – and where I get a little bit passionate about this one is, yes, player safety, but on the other hand, fans pay good money to see these pay- players play. These players 
have a lot on the line by playing. You can't have them sitting out the product sitting in the stands that the fans have, fans have paid to see for nonsensical reasons. And I'm just saying the league needs to draw that line there. Plays like we saw from Roman Schmidt are not worthy of a two-game suspension. They're barely worthy of a two-minute minor. So that I, I would just love to see if the league's going to change the definition of slew putting in the name player safety, add minor, let the refs make degree of severity calls. That That would be my beef with it, Mike. I think you're onto something there, Dan. And because there is this crackdown and you've mentioned the league a number of times and your thoughts on this, because there is obviously a crackdown and it's coming from on high, we have to be strict on these slew foots. We have to call them. We have to assess the match penalty and the subsequent two game suspension that comes with it. Then let's allow for a little bit more discretion because I don't think anybody would argue what we saw in the Peterborough Kitchener game on the weekend was a trip, but a slew foot, my goodness. And and if and if there is no discretion, then if there's nothing between uh, what we saw and match penalty, subsequent two-game suspension, then we've got a real problem on our hands for the reason that you just talked about. You've you've got a product, and I, I can't take credit for this because it was somebody else that said it, but I'm going to use the phrase here because this has been something that people have been talking about since we returned from the Christmas break and we see what happened on the weekend in Kitchener. We've seen these slew foots all season long. And the Ontario Hockey League is going to have to make a, I think I would like to see the Ontario Hockey League make a decision about what kind of product it wants to put on the ice and then ask itself if the way it is policing or penalizing the slew foot right now is putting on the ice, the product that they want put on the ice, because your point about fans paying good money to see these players, you talk about Quentin musty, which we did in a previous podcast. Here's a guy in his draft year, every point, every shift, every game matters. If that's the time that some of the scouts are swinging through Sudbury to see Quentin musty and he's out for two games with a slew footing suspension. It's not, I think what the league was hoping to achieve by this crackdown. And I'll take it one step further because this is where it comes from. And this is what I believe is happening. This is coming from, it's a league mandate. So it's coming down from on high. We have to call this, we have to call this strictly. Now imagine being that referee on the ice when you think, okay, was it a slew foot? It might've been a slew foot. If it's close enough to being a slew foot, I'd better call it a slew foot because otherwise I'm in trouble upstairs. So this is the situation now that we're placing the officials in it's not a good situation for them. Although it was a much different kind of infraction, I'd liken it to the mouth guard violations that we saw a slew of, pun intended, over one week in the Ontario Hockey League. More than two dozen of them called. Now you've got these officials and they feel almost obligated to call these slew footing penalties, the match, the subsequent suspension. The league's got to figure this out because it's damaging the product and I don't think anybody wants that. Yeah, well said, Mike. I mean, this isn't on the officials. Obviously, they're being mandated to. And I think that was the explanation uh, Chris Dennis was given for that penalty was that the ref said this is the way the league wants us calling these. So so I have two problems with that. One on the ref side, these are highly trained individuals taught to use their judgment at this elite level. So why not let them use their judgment? Was this a vicious play and intent to injure that kind of thing? If not, Give them a minor or nothing. Let them make use the judgment they've been trained to use. The other piece I have a problem with there, Mike, is, is this. Like, how many defensive coaches around the league cringed when they saw the one in Roman Schmidt? Who, every time there's a, a play along the boards, defensemen are taught to come in, pin the leg to some degree, uh, borderline legal, but pin the control the player a little bit, work the puck, 
that's how they're taught to do it. So are we being fair to the players now to say mid all of a sudden out of the blue, by the way, this is now a slew foot. And what are the intended consequences there? Because are we going to start to see the whole slew pardon the pun again of diving flopping? Are you, are you now going to train players to fall backwards? Because anytime you fall backwards, it's a slew foot, regardless of what the action was by the player. And, and on video, you can pretty much find anything you're looking to find any kind of contact that you could potentially deem to have resulted in that. And the refs are being told, call that a slew foot. So anyway, I, I, I think there, there wasn't much foresight sight here, Mike. And I think there wasn't necessarily a whole lot of thought down the road about the, are we being fair to the players? Are we being fair to the officials? And are we a number bottom line is, are we achieving the intended goal, which is player safety? What I'm seeing this year? No. If you're that worried about give it a minor. So let's be clear about this too. The slew foot, by definition, and we've all seen them in the game, is a nasty, disgusting, awful play that needs to be eradicated in the name of player safety. Nobody is disputing that at all. But what we're seeing now, I think, is missing the spirit of the crackdown. And I'm not going to be an alarmist here, but I have heard a lot of chatter. And maybe it's just because I'm paying more attention to it this year, but I've heard more and more chatter this year about the other development leagues catching up to the Ontario Hockey League. And I've heard some even make bold predictions that within a decade, you know, other leagues will leapfrog the Ontario Hockey League in terms of being the premier development league in the world. I don't think that's the case. I don't think anything's happening that quickly. However, I think that the Ontario Hockey League had best be careful to not rest on its laurels. Again, I'm going to come back to this idea of the product that was, you know, part of the scuttlebutt around the rink over the weekend. What kind of product does the Ontario Hockey League want to have on the ice? What does it want its fans to see? What does it want? What kind of environment does it want its players to play in? What kind of environment do parents want to see their kids playing in where they will develop, where they will be seen and not be sitting in the stands with them eating popcorn because of a real ticky tacky call that led to a two game suspension. So I don't know even where this crackdown came from. I didn't see much like the mouth guard thing. I hate to bring it up a second time, but it's not like I recall last season or in previous seasons or early this season that there were a lot of slew foots happening that all of a sudden players were being slew footed left and right that we needed this crackdown so i'm a little curious about that and i really hope the league will take this to heart and think hard about the impact that this is having because i would say where we're at right now is an unintended consequence of the crackdown yeah it's it's a great discussion mike because it obviously the ohl somewhere along the way I'd argue several years ago, decided that they wanted their brand to be, we're going to be a safe league. We're going to, we're going to crack down. We're going to err on the side of safety. We're going to err on the side of being punitive in these cases. All I think we're asking, or certainly all I'm asking, I won't put words in your mouth is have a little common sense. Obviously you, you want the players to feel welcome in your league and come to your league and, and feel comfortable as a 16, 17 year old, that they're not going to be viciously attacked by anyone. They're not going to, we're going to take these things seriously. But we have video in every scenario these days. When does common sense apply and say, that was a vicious play, we're we're dealing with it, that was not, we're going to let it go. Common sense has to apply here. You can't just throw blankets over everything and say, we want to be known as a safe league, therefore we're throwing the book at everything because you get unintended consequences like you just said. If you're a physical player looking to develop your, your skill game here, are you going to come to the OHL? I might say I'm going to be sitting out half the year because I don't know what, what's a suspension. I I've been trained this way. So 
there's all kinds of unintended consequences when you decide to go this route. So I'm just begging, let's common sense apply, please. Yeah. And when you go to the review and you kind of circle the wagons, like I think the league did, particularly with this Roman Schmidt call, I think we all saw how innocent the play really was not amounting to anything more than a trip and the league actually upholding the suspension. You said something that just triggered another thought for me, Dan, when you said throwing the book at players. And that's one of the other problems I have with this. It's almost like they're giving out the two game suspensions, like they're Halloween candy. Let's actually throw the book because again, the slew foot is nasty and disgusting and awful and dangerous and needs to be out of the game. I'm all for 10 games, maybe even more for an actual slew foot. But let's be clear about what we're doing here and what kind of play we're trying to take out of the game instead of two games here, two games there, two games here. Let's actually throw books at people who deserve to have them thrown at them. Yeah, oh, 100%, Mike. And, and, and I, I don't want to go on too much of a tangent on the two-game thing, but but my personal belief is why would you have it? So they have all these automatic suspensions that are triggered. You know, a guy gets a slew foot, automatic two games. Guy gets a match, two games. Fair enough, but why do, in a day of a day and age of video like we have, why do the automatic suspensions need to be triggered? The only thing I can think of is no one's working on the weekends, no one wants to look at it. So better we got them sitting out, we're fine. How how hard would it be for a league that wants to take itself seriously as a developmental league to have someone somewhere have a cursory look at these videos, which run about 30 seconds, look at it two or three times, say, you know what, that's not a suspension. Kid can play tomorrow. I I don't just to tag on to this whole discussion, Mike, I'm not sure we need the automatic suspensions anymore, unless it's something super obvious, but you're really muddy the waters when you start calling these things sleuthing. You you got me thinking completely tangentially here, but when you talk about, you know, let's have somebody in the office on the weekends, this league, I want to be clear, does a lot of things, right? It's, it's a great league. It remains the premier development league in the world, but there are some little things that it does so poorly, not staffing weekends by way of example. And frankly, and this is going to come across totally selfish. I get it. Here comes the tangent. But as a member of the working media in the Ontario Hockey League, frankly, I think there should be a bare minimum of standard for what I get and the environment I am provided to work in. Because if you want me to cover your league well and not be cranky about it. I'm looking at you, Owen Sound and Windsor, two of my three road stops this past week. Look, they're great cities. Both organizations do it upright. But in Owen Sound, I work in a space that is no bigger than a closet. And I've got a partner, like right, we're elbow to elbow. And then there's a goalie coach and a video coach and the other team's broadcasters. Like we're, we're shoehorned into this little teeny tiny space. And oh yeah, you can't get Wi-Fi in Windsor. They've done everything right with this building, but for whatever, well, I know the reason because they could, we used to broadcast out of one of the, the suite areas and they can sell that for money. I get it from a revenue business standpoint, but now they've got us as media up on this. Like we're, our backs are literally against the wall of the arena, the out exterior wall of the arena. Cause we're way up on this like catwalk at the side of the building. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a little bit more in the way of creature comforts, but Nonetheless, I, I would love to see that, but I, I get it's way down the priority list and I went on a bit of a tangent here. So I'll drop it there. The bottom line is, please, Ontario Hockey League, consider the unintended consequences of this goofiness around the slew foot. We all agree that slew footing should be penalized and penalized severely. But what you're doing right now 
is taking it too far. And quite frankly, it's turning into the wrong approach. So hopefully there can be a course correction on this as we move into the most meaningful games in the Ontario Hockey League this season. And of course, we'll talk about those games because some trade talk to have on this episode of the OHL podcast as well. But let's shift our attention, Dan, to the World Juniors. And I've got some thoughts connected to what we were just talking about when it comes to the World Juniors, kind of in broad strokes. But where are you at right now, maybe particularly around the OHLers that are playing in Team Canada? Well, in some ways, I felt like the World Juniors this year have mirrored the OHL and that I I don't have a great sense of who's who's really strong and who's not. They seem to be seem to be taking turns game to game. I think generally speaking, it's hard to kind of capture all the OHLers in one take, but I, I think generally speaking, they've acquitted themselves fairly well. I know, I know the Austrians didn't have a great tourney, and their captain uh, Vinny Rohrer from the the sixty sevens was sick early on. He might have considered this a tournament to forget, but. For the rest of the uh, the OHLers, they, they seem to be acquitting themselves well. We saw Tyler Boucher uh, today with the Americans storming uh, in their quarterfinal game. They're 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 getting in gear as the uh, tournament goes on and and spotted. I, I would argue throughout the Canadian lineup, many of the the more steady players have been the OHLers. Um, seems like most of the depth players on that team are not not from the O. Um, to my chagrin. But yeah, I think I think generally speaking, like we've seen some pretty solid, if not strong, performances from the OHLers. Uh, anyone standing out to you? I, I would just like to point out that I famously said on our last podcast before Christmas that the Finns really intrigued me, and here we are, and that the U.S. doesn't scare me. And uh, well, Canada, U.S. in the semifinal, baby. So we'll see where that lands. But uh, I've I've been keeping my eyes primarily on on Team Canada, and I'm going to say this about Shane Wright, even in the game that we just watched, I, I hear the criticism, I follow some of the criticism online, and I, I get it, that's where we go to criticize people, but I, I'm i still trying to figure out exactly the why. This guy's had himself a, a hell of a year, hasn't he, with everything that's happened in Seattle, not going first overall, you know, AHL for a little bit, now here he is with, with Team Canada, but I'll just say this, I'm a, I'm a Shane Wright guy, I'm a Shane Wright fan, and I think he's going to make an Ontario Hockey League team really happy when he gets returned to the league because Bob McKenzie posed the question, I think it was Canada's second game, but regardless, at one point early in this tournament, Brant Clark, property of the Barry Colts, Shane Wright, property of the Kingston Frontenacs, do they get returned to junior following this tournament? I fully accept, expect, pardon me, yes. And I think that makes it particularly interesting in Barry, but I'll turn it over to you for thoughts. Yeah. I mean, at first, just on the Shane Wright file, I think, I think you're absolutely right, Mike. I'm a bit of a Shane. I, I've heard a lot of people say to me over the past couple of weeks that they think he's a bust. They're not seeing it from him. I, I, I would, I would counter that I, I'm seeing a pretty professional game from him in a lot of ways. And if you look at the rest of that Canadian roster, you see it littered with mistakes, uh, just puck management, uh, inconsistency on positioning, a number of issues throughout that lineup game to game. Shane Wright doesn't make a lot of those. He's kind of in the right spots. He kind of gives you the same thing every shift and he might not wow you like, uh, like Connor Bedard, but I think there's a pretty professional game there. And I think that's gotta be intriguing the Seattle crack. And, and, and when you look at you're morphing into the kind of the trade talk trade chat around the O Mike. And I think we're, we're hearing that, you know, it was approaching half the league have, have made offers or inquiries about Shane Wright at this point. And, and I have to wonder 
in the review Kingston is doing of these offers is uh, is Ron Francis peering over their shoulders and saying, hmm, what 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 options have we got here? Because uh, they they ultimately hold the cards here to say, you know, yes, yes, he's going back to the OHL uh, now, or you know what, we're we're not really loving where you're sending him. So I, I'm I'm obviously have nothing to base this on, but I just I. I I think that we're we're about to see some traction here, and I'd be shocked if he wasn't in the OHL. I just wonder how much say there, there's coming from Seattle. I'm I'm not sure that anything that's happening at the World Juniors is necessarily elevating Shane Wright's trade value when he comes back to the O. Again, I'm saying when because I believe he will be sent back there. But I also think for anybody on Team Canada not named Connor Bedard, it's kind of hard to cut through the clutter because Connor, it's Connor Bedard's show and the rest of the team is just along for the ride. I think what's interesting on the Brant Clark side of things, again, I believe fully that he will be returned to the Ontario Hockey League. What do the Barry Colts do? Are they, are they in a position right now that they're moving Brant Clark or are they saying, thank God, this is the piece we've been waiting for because coming into this season and you and I had identified them as a stronger team in the East, Dan. So is this just the piece you've been waiting for? And now you're going to make your run against the already strong North Bay, the already strong and likely to get stronger Peterborough Peets, and the already strong and likely to get stronger Ottawa 67s. Do you want to be one of those four going for it? I didn't even mention the Sudbury Wolves yet, and I'm not sure what's going on up there. But I don't know if I'm Marty Williamson, what the plan is for Brant Clark. Are you going to move him for a King's ransom or are you going to put him on the ice and say, this is the guy now that we've been waiting for to make our run in the Eastern conference. Well, I guess this is why Marty's getting paid the big bucks, right? He'll have to, <laughs> he'll have to look at that right now. And, and, and for him, it's going to be a little more of a leap of faith than in some cities, because you're looking at your staff, you're saying, how much do I trust them here? Because it's one of those teams. And there's a couple of them in the league this year where they're better on paper than they have been on the ice. And things are maybe starting to round into form. They can maybe expect an uptick from, from some of their players, uh, players like Declan McDonald, some of these guys that have had really slow starts to the year. And if you throw Brent Clark back in the mix, suddenly are we right there? Cause the record isn't that bad. The records they're on the cusp of, of, of contention as is. So, but that's an evaluation Marty's going to have to make. And I'm sure it's not an easy one because it, you can just as easily throw more pieces at this and, and have the lackluster play continue. We've seen that, happened in a few cities uh, around the O lately. So, so I, I'm glad I'm not in his shoes, but he's got to make that call. And I, I almost wonder in a case like his, uh, again, I'm not trying to stir a lot of controversy with NHL interference or whatnot, but I wonder if the LA Kings have weighed in on where, what they'd like for Brant Clark. And, and does that factor in, does Brant Clark's uh, preference factor in, does he maybe want to end up where his buddy Shane Wright ends up or any of these factors come into play because if he's not that enthused about returning to Barry, that might set Marty's course for him. Uh, if he's all in, then I wouldn't be shocked to see Barry add a piece or two. Why not? They're not that far off and they, they have to be expecting to be better in the second half. Ethan Del Mastro, Owen Beck, both of the Mississauga Steelheads with Team Canada. Beck, of course, brought up as the injury replacement, uh, just having played his first game, got spot duty. But I just want to say this, too, for any fans of the Sarnia Sting who might be worried, because Benjamin Godreau obviously did not have a great first game as Canada, and it's now Thomas Milich's crease, which I think it should be. I mean, that's the way it goes at tournaments like this. But if you're a Sarnia Sting fan and you're worried at all, I would just say, don't be the entire team wasn't good in that first game. And again, we've seen this before at a tournament like this, you 
platoon guys early on, then you find the hot hand, you go with them. Milich is that hot hand. I personally, and I don't know about you, Dan, but I have no reservations whatsoever about Benjamin Gaudreau when he's back in the Ontario Hockey League. No, I mean, there's too much talent there. We've seen a pedigree coming up uh, to his OHL draft year and beyond. There's too much ability there for them to be uh, too worried about him. Having said that, there's everyone's going to worry about an 869 save percentage in the first half of the year. So there's, uh, again, just add them to the list of teams that have legitimate concerns. Like, are we or aren't we? And and I, I think Sarnia is pretty clear on the, yes, we're going to, we're going to push this year. Um, but I don't think that they're going out and looking for an, another answer to Benjamin Godreau because he's, he's the guy for them. All right. Let's talk about a trade, a couple of them that have happened. I'll just start with this. I, I love Erie's pickup of Pano Filmus, but I, the return is steep. That is for sure a boatload of picks going back, but I'm almost reluctant. Like I, I feel like I should put some kind of boycott on the OHL podcast about talking about any moves that the Niagara Ice Dogs make. This is the 24th move of the season. You want to talk about a bad look for the Ontario Hockey League? It's in St. Catharines right now. I'm sorry. I know that that's harsh, but that's true. I, I just don't know how you do this. It's not, this is not fantasy hockey. These are, these are young men. These are future hockey careers that you're toying with right now. I just don't get it. Yeah, I I'm assuming that picks are coming back now because he ran out of cards back in October. But yeah, I, I look at the, if I look at this deal in isolation, I get it. I mean, Pano Femis is a, is a solid player, but you're getting three seconds and two thirds for him. Sure. Got to do it. But you, you, you raised an interesting point there, Mike, with the, the age of these players and shipping them around like assets. And that that's always something that hasn't quite sat that well with a lot of people. Like, should we be trading teenagers, asking them to pack up homes and schools mid mid year and, so I, I think a lot goes on behind the scenes that we're not aware of. A lot of these players are seeking uh, a change of scenery, a change of uh, location, a new opportunity. And that's all fine and dandy. Um, but when you see something going on a little bit, we'll call it anomalous as, as it is in, in St. Catharines this year, you have to question how experienced are these people running the show? Do they really know what they're doing? Are they really consulting with the families and, and agents and whatnot? Because when you're when you've made 24 moves in your first three or four months in power, hard to get that stability that most teams are looking for. Not to mention with hopes of hosting the Memorial Cup next year. None of it makes any sense to me. But let's talk about one trade that is that does make a whole lot of sense to me for both teams from where I'm sitting. And that's the London Hamilton swap. Uh, not unfamiliar trading partners and the London Knights go out and add championship experience. We've talked about this an awful lot with the Kitchener Rangers acquisition of Marco Costantini. Well, now a couple of Ryans and Ryan Humphreys and Ryan Winterton, uh, injury to the shoulder notwithstanding, come from Hamilton to the London Knights. And in exchange for that, London's first rounder this year, Luca Testa. It's okay. They got Sam Dickinson in a trade with that other team we're not talking about anymore. Uh, so they've already got a first rounder in the lineup. But Luca Testa goes Carson Lloyd, good looking 17 uh, year old defenseman, and the coveted second round pick. So from Hamilton's perspective, I will say this Matt Turek, as the interim GM, is kind of picking up where Steve Steos left off, right? 2018, an OHL championship. 2022, as that cycle comes around again in Hamilton, an OHL championship. Now, the year after your most recent championship, you reset a little bit. And I think moving Humphreys and Winterton and getting players like Testa and Lloyd and a second rounder 
I, I think Hamilton does really well now as they look ahead in that cycle to the next run at a championship. And of course, London, of, of course, you're going to add championship experience to a team that has next to none of it, but that deserves every opportunity to make a run this year. Yeah, I, I know Ryan. Uh, the Ryans in in London are they were a little worried they lost uh, Ryan at Del Monte. Got his injury in in the World Junior Championship. We're not sure when he's come back, but then they had two more with Humphrey and uh, Winterton, and and yeah. So I think uh, it clearly plugs some holes for London. Maybe a little concerned about the shoulder, but we've all heard Winterton's going to come back just fine uh, before long. Uh, they needed scoring. They needed a finisher they get a little bit of a pain in the butt to play against with Humphrey. So they're, they're adding components where you, you say what you want about Mark and Dale Hunter. They know how to build out a roster. They know how to add the pieces you need to do well uh, at playoff time. And I think this is exactly what they're doing. And, and we all do, we've been hearing around the boards for a while that they had determined Luca Testa was a card they could play. And, and, you know, when you see uh, players drafted as high as he, as he and Lloyd, you start to think, wow, that's a, a hefty price, but they know what they're doing. They they determined these were pieces they could play. Uh, like you mentioned, a couple of the younger players they have, Dickinson and others. They they know what they're doing. They know how to build the roster. And and one has to look at their record, uh, 18 to the last 20, I believe, and sitting in first place and then adding these two pieces. Uh, you can't sit terribly well with some of the other GMs in the West who are, who are billing out of their cupboard stat a piece or two and might not feel like they measure up. I think it's a good point on the doing of the homework. We know London does that very well. So I have very little doubt that uh, Ryan Winterton will not only return, but return in good form and help this London team. And you stole a little bit of my thunder around 18 and two in their past 20 games, but let that sink in for a moment. Remember at the beginning of this season when everybody and understandably so was talking about the Ottawa 67s because they won their first nine games. Then they lost one. Then they won their next nine games. It was an 18 and one team at one point. They're eight and six since that 18 and one start. If you want to call 19 games more than a quarter of the season to start, but nonetheless, everybody was talking about Ottawa. Do we just not talk about London because you get so used to London doing things like this? London was a team that had a one and five start this season. They won eight games in a row, lost one, have won six since. They've got the Guelph Storm on Tuesday, January the 3rd, the day that this episode gets released. Could be, I mean, on paper, could very well be a seventh win in a row, but 18 out of their past 20. That is a 900 winning percentage for those of you keeping track at home for a team that everybody thought at the beginning of the year would have trouble scoring. And look, they're not, they're not winning games, nine, nothing, but they're winning games and they're winning them like a buzzsaw in the Western conference right now. Yeah. And I think, I think what you hit on part of it is teams are, everyone's just so used to on a nights being good that this doesn't maybe register, but the other piece is we're used to some high powered offensive players in London and that's not really what they're built around this year. So we're not seeing the, you know, the hundred point players necessarily in that lineup, but what they do, what Mark Hunter and Dale Hunter do, but particularly Dale behind the bench, is they ride their horses. So they'll they'll get their nucleus players and they'll see a lot of ice. And if those are high-end players and you get a steady diet of those high-end players, it, it's hard to compete with. And they 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 have that winning recipe. But the piece they have that a lot of other teams haven't figured out is 
their understudies, so to speak, always improve drastically, especially from when you see them in September to when you see them in, in January or the following year. So they have a development plan and development formula that clearly works. And, and when you can turn the lineup over like that and constantly have development, I think that's the recipe everyone else is looking for. You can hate on them all you want. Uh, you just have to look at the numbers right now. Again, 18 and two in their past 20, a 900 clip winning percentage wise. Uh, it is impressive in any league. So the London Knights have stood up to be counted in the West. The Kitchener Rangers have already made moves. Costantini, we already referenced in this episode of the podcast, our Curry and Leighton Moore, we were talking about before Christmas when the Rangers were on their six game run. Sarnia Sting went out and got Christian Cairo as well as kind of a lateral move uh, when they moved Nemesnikov out to get Pastajov in. But those are three teams anyway in the West that have stood up to be counted so far. And I we're going to spend all of next week's episode likely will be around the, the trade deadline because the deadline is a week from the date of the release of this episode, January the 10th. Uh, I, I don't know, Dan, about you, if you see another team in the West or which teams you see in the East still making moves. I, I'm not sure any of the teams, frankly, in the West that have made moves are done making moves yet. Is Sarnia, Kitchener, London finished i don't know i think owen sounds the real wild card what does dale de gray do there with a nice crop of young players that i think he would like to get a little bit of uh good feelings in a playoff round like win one round maybe take a little bit of a deeper run to build for another good year with that owen sound club so they're a bit of a wild card for me over in the east north bay's already made a ton of moves peterborough's made a significant move Kingston and I'm going to guess uh, Kingston and Oshawa have already proven themselves to be selling. I think Ottawa still adds in the East. I don't think Peterborough's done yet. And I have a feeling that Mississauga is going to move into sell mode. That's my kind of high level view right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with all that. I think it's pretty obvious. Ottawa is going to do something. They're going to add a, a piece there. The two I'm kind of keeping an eye on. The, I, I actually am not sure I'm going to see Owen sound do much this year. I think they feel like a lot of the cores come back next year. I'm not sure they feel like, this has really materialized this year. So could be wrong, but I'm not seeing a huge move there. Uh, but I'm looking at Flint and Windsor as well. I'm thinking that they've got a couple cards to play and some, something's going to give there. Uh, I would, the part that intrigues me the most, Mike, is I look, I did not expect the Mississauga Steelheads to be sellers, but they, they're holding a couple big chips. Luca Del Belvaluz, uh, potentially Owen Beck, even though he's got a year after this, and, and Ethan Del Mastro's there too. So they got two players from Team Canada coming back. Do they move? I wonder how much the market is going to be held up by those one or two players, the Shane Wright move and, and potentially Brant Clark and one, one or two of those steelheads. If, if what we're hearing is true and that all these offers are already surfacing on the table for Kingston, for Shane Wright, a team like Kingston could hold the entire market up to the very last second and then leave, leave a few people out in the cold. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens, but, uh, but yeah, those are the teams I'm kind of looking at Mike for, for moves coming up. I think it's going to be an interesting week to be sure, especially, of course, with the freeze in place for those players over at the World Juniors right now. So, again, a deep dive into all of that next week. Before we move on to our uh, prospects of the week, I just wanted to add one more kind of note. We talked about the London Knights. I think we have to give some love this week to the Peterborough Peets, who have come off a five-game losing streak and done the exact opposite now with a five-game winning streak. But it's it's more than just the five-game winning streak, at least for me. Their top line right now of Connor Lockhart, Tucker Robertson, and J.R. Avon in those five games have a combined 
38 points. 38 points for that trio. Both uh, Robertson and Lockhart have 13 apiece. Avon has 12 in the past five games. They've outscored the opposition 29 to seven. And pst, they've done it all without Brennan Hoffman. But it's just, it's as impressive a run as you're going to see over five games. And I think I just wanted to make sure they got a little bit of love on this episode of the OHL podcast because it's, it's, it's impressive to see, period. Yeah, no, it's a good point, Mike. They deserve it because what I what I've witnessed the last couple of games I've watched Pierre Pete's play is uh team kind of built for the playoffs. They got a bit of a heavy back end. They've got those guys will grind you down over the game, a little bit of pushback, all of them. Uh so if that's your your back end, we know they've got the goaltending. Uh so the question was where they're gonna score enough goals. Well, they got Brendan Othman coming back, and and as we've hinted, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked to see another fairly significant piece added up front. And then suddenly you look at that team, and I'm not seeing a team I want to play in the playoffs, Mike. Not to mention Michael Simpson, who is leading the league in save percentage in goal. So things are looking pretty rosy right now in the lift lock city. Again, a lot of hockey still to be played, but they deserve some recognition for what they've done uh since just before Christmas. Okay, let's get into our uh, prospects of the week. I'll let you start. Okay, which is fine because I'm pretty sure I'm not stealing your guy this week because it's one of your guys. Okay. Um, but uh, I wanted to give a little love to uh, Colson Petrie and Flint just for a few reasons. Uh, kind of been a consistent guy all year. I know you love him, and and I and I have been really impressed with his game. So he's a he's a late 04 birth, so he's got a year jump on some of the other prospects. But just talk about consistency that he adds to that lineup, like functioning at nearly a, a point a game in his in his draft year, but I know it's not a stat. A lot of people love anymore, but putting up a really impressive plus minus. And when you look at that as a stat relative to your teammates, which I think it is, he, he still stands out there. And so you're talking about a responsible player up and down the lineup that just seems, I think you said it, Mike just seems to make things happen when he's on the ice. He's a guy that you can't see the Flint Firebirds play a hockey game without noticing Colson Petrie. So, so that's, that's my, and just before, before I do, I'm going to throw another quick wrench at you, Mike. This is totally off at a left field because he's not an NHL draft prospect this year. But how I have to give a shout out to Zane Prick and and uh, in Saginaw, what that kid is doing as a 16 year old defenseman in this league is kind of insane. I know he was a first round pick, so good things were expected. But I mean, 11 goals, 20 points, big plus minus. Uh, so anyway, I, I had to throw a wrench at you with a second uh, 2006 birth shout out this week to Zane Prick. Nothing wrong with that. Boy, oh boy, that Saginaw Spirit roster. Who, ah, I think it was, I'm trying to remember where, because it's been a busy stretch of games since Christmas. I think it was in Windsor. You know, you're just chatting in and around the boards and the media room before the game and all that stuff. And the the consensus was the Memorial Cup's going to Saginaw, because that's the team with the roster. And and yeah, Merrick would be a piece of that for sure. Okay, if um if you're watching on YouTube, you might have seen me just kind of put my head down and laugh when Dan mentioned Colson Petrie of the Flint Firebirds. Not because I'm picking Petrie, but because, oddly enough, I'm also on Flint for my prospect of the week. But Petrie was this guy, yeah, that I have always I've had my eye on since the beginning of the season. I thought he might be, you know, sneaky good, climbing up the points race, et cetera, uh, for the Firebirds this year. And I'm going to throw in an honorable mention too. But the guy I had my eye on from Flint is Tristan Bertucci. Not a guy that's going to, you know, jump off the ice or the page at you at all. But ranked by NHL Central Scouting as a C prospect, so that puts him, you know, five rounds five to seven. But he's got six points 
a goal and five assists in his past five games, which is one third of his total points, 19 that he's had on the season. You mentioned plus minus when you talked about Petrie. I know it's not a stat everybody loves, but he's got the top plus minus among defensemen on the Flint Firebirds right now at a plus 12. And his little run here that he's had over the past five games has come during a time when the Firebirds have only won one of those past five games. So I think that's something to see from a draft eligible defenseman. So Tristan Bertucci gets my nod as the prospect of the week. And the honorable mention is only an honorable mention because I don't have the balls to make him my prospect of the week because I will get too much hate mail and I get enough of it already. Okay. It's, it's a bias because it's the team I cover and it's a bias because I flat out love the kid. Give me 19 more like him and I'll take him to into any game, anytime. But my honorable mention goes to Matt Andonofsky of the Kitchener Rangers. Again, not a guy that's going to jump off the page or the ice at you, but he just goes out and does what you need him to do. He he might be, at this roughly halfway point of the season, the most improved Kitchener Ranger. I'd make that argument. But really, we spent a lot of time talking about the Roman Schmidt suspension. So the Rangers were down to 5D on uh, on Saturday in their game against Windsor. It's not the first time this season they've been shorthanded on the back end. And here's a guy that I don't think anybody expected to play big minutes. He's not still still not playing huge minutes, but he just goes out there. He gets the job done. He doesn't embarrass you. And Matt Andonofsky, sorry, Matthew Andonofsky gets an honorable mention from me on my prospect of the week this week. The reason I'm laughing, Mike, just before, because I had a short list of four names for my prospect of the week and both Bertucci and Andonofsky were on it. And so I'm glad I'm glad you threw them out there because uh, Matthew Andonofsky is as biased it might be for him to be a kitchen ranger. I'm glad you noticed it because I did too. his his skill game and the way he reads the ice and his thinking the game now has improved dramatically in the last few months. And like you said, he was asked to do a whole lot in the last little bit based on players missing from that lineup. And he's stood up admirably uh didn't see any of the mistakes we, we saw from from him as a rookie so I see a real development curve there and I guarantee you when you play a big tough game like that and then demonstrate you can move your feet and move the puck NHL scouts are taking notice not to mention when somebody does something to one of Matt Andonofsky's teammates he's usually the first guy over there to say uh, uh, that's not how we do things around here so you like that part of his game as well. All right. Uh, we're back. We're back in full flight. I'm so excited for 2023. Let, listen, this was not planned, but let's do a little humble brag here, Dan. We're so overwhelmed by the response to this podcast to date that we're hitting the ground. Like we're, we're no, we're not even, we're on the runway ready to take off here in 2023. We love the feedback we've been getting. Uh, we, we love the numbers we've been seeing in terms of downloads and support of this podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please uh, tell a friend about it. Give us a like, uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave us a review. Elam, thank you for your review. Send us an email anytime, ohlpodcast at rogers.com. But I know, Dan, because you and I sat down for a beer over the break just to kind of catch up, not across a screen with microphones. And uh, it, this has been a lot of fun. And it's it's great to see that people are enjoying what for us has been a ton of fun. It, it has been. I mean, you and I love talking hockey and especially OHL hockey we have for years. So this is just this is just fun for us. But uh, yeah, when, it, when you showed me the uh, the analytics, the upload numbers, I, I I knew I had a big family. I just didn't know it was that big. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mahars are popping up everywhere. 
but yeah, no, absolutely. Just, uh, I would just echo that. Thank you so much to anyone who, who actually is giving us the time to, to download these and listen. I hope, I hope we're bringing you content you like, but thank you for tuning in. Yeah. And that's a good reminder. If you don't like it or you want to hear something else or something we're not talking about, ohlpodcast at rogers.com is the email address. We've got episodes every Tuesday and Friday, and they will continue right through this season. On Friday, we always feature a feature interview. And Dan, again, not planned. What's the best rivalry in the Ontario Hockey League, Ooh. in your opinion? Oh, oh, that's a really good question. I, I have to go to keep the answer brief. I'll have to go with my short answer of Oshawa Peterborough. But there are some heavy contenders. Okay. Well, why is that your short answer? Because of the other contenders, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I could give you probably five or six that are pretty heated rivalries. I just think that one stands on top of the heap given the long history and intensity. Okay. So we are of like mind. And I think at some point down the road, maybe we'll just do a rivalries episode because you're right. As time has gone on, we could make arguments for several, but this is the one I always come back to as well. Oshawa. Peterborough historically for sure and I think because of that it stands the test of time so on Friday you are going to want to hear our feature interview with the guy who played for both teams who coached both teams and holds a record that many thought was Wayne Gretzky's but it's not it's our guest on Friday who holds the record he also get ready for it played Seven, seven OHL seasons. Wow. That's all. I'm just going to leave it right there. You can, you can start trying to make that make sense to you because you know, it's a five-year cycle, but whatever. You're going to love it. He's hilarious. And he was on both sides of the most storied rivalry in the Ontario Hockey League. So that's on your episode coming up on Friday. That is Dan Mahar on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Your next episode of the OHL podcast comes out on Friday. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. He had all, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.